give a big welcome to our associate pastor, Matt Belusin. Thank you, Pastor Rowe. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh, why don't we just pray right off the jump? Let's talk to God. Let's invite him into our time and his word together. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus. The light has come into the darkness of this world and the darkness of our lives. And I pray, Lord, that regardless of where we are this week, Lord, that you would meet us right there in the messiness of our lives. Sometimes a mess that only you can see, only us and you. Not many people know, but God, you know. And I pray that you would meet us right there in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So our Christmas series this year is called The Light Has Come. Obviously, we know that the light represents Jesus. He came into the darkness of this world. But I can't talk about lights without thinking about my own Christmas lights. Because this year, I was absolutely determined to raise the standard of my Christmas light decorating game. Every single year since we moved into our house back in 2018, I've done at least one strand of lights. In the past, it's been one strand of colorful lights above my garage door, about 10 feet high. But you know, it gets more and more exciting and more and more addicting every single year. So the next year, I added a couple of little Christmas trees in the yard. The year after that, I added a little bit more. But I've always wanted to get a little higher, literally, because my garage door is about 10 feet off the ground. But then my garage has a facade and it raises up to a point, you know, typical garage, and the top of that point is probably closer to 20 feet high. And I've always wanted to put Christmas lights along the top of that facade. Now, it's a lot of work, especially when you consider the fact that I am afraid of heights. So I had to plan out an entire day dedicated to this task. And I set aside last week, Saturday morning. And it starts with needing a healthy, hearty breakfast, right? If I'm going to put my life on the line for the sake of Christmas cheer, then I need a good breakfast, sir, first. So I go through the pantry, and I find myself a good can of corned beef. Now, who's opened a can of corned beef before? Show of hands, right? Okay. So you guys know that a can of corned beef has that little pull tab, right? And you got to twirl the pull tab to peel off that strip. Well, I pulled off the pull tab. And if you pull off the pull tab, like, what do you do? So I tried to open it by using a can opener on the top. Worked for the most part, but the corners were too tight. So then I decide, I'm going to pry this bad boy open with a spoon. It worked. I opened the can. I also opened two of my fingers. And this is a can that is sharp and greasy. And that's how I started the morning. So... I clean up, I eat breakfast, and now it's Christmas light time. you got to persevere, right? It's a lesson in life. Let steadfastness have its full effect and produce perseverance. So anyway, I decide to walk out on the roof of the garage and reach over. That way I won't need a bigger ladder. And the way I'm going to get onto the roof of my garage is by opening my mom's bedroom window. The window would not open. They have these little pull tabs that you're supposed to pull, and it moves the springs out of the way, and you push it out, the pull tab's broke. So then I have to pry it open with a screwdriver. And the window looks now like somebody tried to break in. It was just me breaking out. And I get onto the roof, and I'm walking on it, and I'm like, yeah, definitely afraid of heights. And I get close to the edge, and I'm like trying to look over, and I realize I can't do this. I don't have it in me. The roof is too steep. I am too afraid. There has to be another way. So I give up, and my dreams are destroyed. 
but I at least find solace in the fact that a brand new Christmas inflatable came in the mail that morning. Allie had chosen uh, dinosaurs as our theme for Christmas inflatables. So I went on Amazon and I bought a little Triceratops. It is smaller than advertised, and it is dimmer than expected. It is our dim, disappointing dinosaur. The tragic Triceratops. So last week Saturday, my Christmas project was a mess. And I share this story because the first Christmas was a mess too. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's read this account of the first Christmas in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Here's what it says. So Joseph also went out from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there is no guest room available for them. And this is how Jesus, the Son of God, was born into the world. Now, whenever we tell this story around Christmas time, it tends to be cute. You've got cute decorations in people's yards, right? The nativity sets. I've got a kid now. I've got two kids. So we've got... Christmas books, and the Christmas books are always cute. And Allie is involved in Christmas performances now. The Christmas performances at our Christian preschool are really cute. But you know what all this cuteness fails to do is convey what that first Christmas actually looked like and felt like because it wasn't cute at all. Jesus was born into a mess. It's an absolute mess. It was chaotic. The Christmas books don't tell us this part of the story. The Christmas cards from Hallmark don't depict this. The Christmas Hallmark movies that my mom watches constantly. That laugh tells you everything you need to know. They don't tell this story either, but if it ever does, it's glossed over. We move past it quickly, but God includes the details of this mess for a reason. I think he wants us to look at it. So we're going to pivot now to another gospel and another account of the birth of Christ because it shows us just exactly what this might have felt like. So this is Matthew chapter 1, and we'll do verses 18 to 21. Here's what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. So let's take a look at this. Joseph and Mary are betrothed, and... Betrothal in the ancient world probably landed somewhere between our modern concepts of engagement and marriage because a betrothed couple had all the legal rights of a married couple, but they didn't consummate their marriage yet or they weren't living together yet. So this is where they find themselves, essentially married. And suddenly, Mary is pregnant before the consummation. Now, we 
stand here, sit here 2,000 years later, and we know that this was Jesus, the Son of God, conceived of the Holy Spirit, virgin birth, the only one in history. That's incredible. Let's sing about it. But what would any reasonable person conclude at the time? In fact, any reasonable person throughout all of human history, either that they went ahead of schedule or that Mary had an affair. So here's Mary, very young, betrothed, not married, and she's probably dealing with the people in their town, attaching every ugly label to her possible, judging her, making decisions about her character. And Joseph finds himself in a similar situation, and on top of that, he knows it wasn't him. So here's his betrothed fiancé wife, pregnant, he knows he didn't do it. What would Joseph conclude? She's unfaithful. Here you've got a man who's faithful to God, faithful to the law, wondering why. Wondering why Mary had an affair. Wondering why he wasn't good enough for her. And in spite of this, he has a heart that says, I'm not going to shame her. I'm going to do this as quietly as possible. And of course, we know that God sent an angel to both of them because in this mess, that's the only way they're going to believe what's going on here to be true. What do you mean? What, what is a virgin birth? Did anyone tell you how this works? God tells us how it works, so they stay together and they bear the shame together. So as they walk around town, people whisper and point. And they say all these things. And as time goes on and time comes for Mary to give birth, one of, the, one of the governors calls for a census. And this census requires people to go back to their hometowns. They were living in Nazareth. David's hometown was Bethlehem. He had to go back to Bethlehem. This is about when Mary's going to give birth. The problem is that Nazareth and Bethlehem are about 90 miles away from each other. And they're walking. Mothers... How appealing does that journey sound to you? Nobody wants to do that. Let's assume, best case scenario, they had a camel or a donkey. Still not fun. A car drive doesn't sound fun. And yet they go all the way there, and when they get there, Pastor Roland talked about it last week, they can't find a place to stay. In the inn with their families, in the Airbnb, there is nothing left. And they get so desperate. As, as Mary goes into labor pains, that they find an empty barn surrounded by animals, camels, donkeys, sheep, chickens. And that is where the Son of God is born. Luke chapter 2 verse 7 told us she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, because of this Jesus story, because of when he was born, we think of a manger as a crib. And it, we've got little mangers that we put out there on display, and they're always nice and shiny. A manger was not a crib. A manger was a food trough. Animals eat out of mangers every day, multiple times a day. I don't know if you guys have ever been around a camel. Seen them at like petting zoos and stuff. They have lots of saliva. Really gross. 
One time I went with Allie to a farm. You know the farm up in North Las Vegas? I took her there on a school field trip, and she had little pieces of hay to feed the animals, and we came up to a donkey. And that donkey with its big lips, like, slobbered on all of our hands. She didn't want to feed any more animals after that. Well, that donkey was eating out of that manger. We don't know how many animals, but we're feeding, they're talking about animal food put in the manger multiple times a day. The animals come to eat it. And over time, as this thing is being used, we're talking about layers of old food and layers of animal saliva piling on each other one after another after another. It doesn't sound like the most sanitary environment. And I'm assuming that a couple of bugs are probably attracted to this pile of things. And these layers are being developed over time. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that when they got to the barn, they knew this girl's birth, about to give birth. Let's wipe it down. Let's clean it. It's still not clean enough. That's unsanitary, man. You know, as a parent, you try not to judge other parents. Like, you, you realize you don't know the story. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what works for that kid or for that family. I read this story as a parent, and I am judging. And I'm not judging Mary and Joseph. They played the hand they were dealt. I'm questioning God here. Why on earth would God allow his only begotten son to be born into a situation like that? What kind of parenting is that? I think God allowed it because God was sending a message. So let's think back to Matthew chapter 1 briefly. Matthew 1.16 refers to Jesus as the Messiah. The word Messiah refers to a chosen one or an anointed one. It's the exact same meaning as the word Christ in Greek. It means chosen, anointed for a special task, a special purpose. So the Messiah that the people of Israel were waiting for had a very special, very unique purpose with many different facets to it. And one of the facets we can see in Isaiah, and Matthew references it in Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> so earlier we read up to verse 21. Now let's continue up through verse 22 to see what the role of the Messiah is and how God was sending a message. Matthew 1.22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So both Isaiah in the Old Testament and Matthew in the New Testament are affirming that this Messiah, that Jesus is God the Son who came to be with us. And God knew that their lives were messy. He knew that the situation he had created was messy. And in spite of that, God says, I am God with you. That means that God came to be with us in all, in all of our mess. The situation was a mess. Mary's life, Joseph's life was a mess. The world at the time was a mess. And God chose to send his son into that situation, into that manger, which is probably the messiest place he could have been born in all of Bethlehem. It's like God is sending a message in big bold, flashing, neon letters. And that message is the Messiah is comfortable in your mess. That's who God came to be. He came to be with us, and he came to get comfortable in all the messy things in this world and in all the messy things of our lives. 
And not only does he want to come and be comfortable in our mess, he also wants to come and help us clean this mess. Mary alludes to this in Luke chapter 1. We read Luke 2. This is what happens before that. Uh, Mary, after conceiving of the Holy Spirit, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth at this time is pregnant with her own miraculous birth. A lot of you know this is John the Baptist. Elizabeth conceived in her old age miraculously. She's carrying John the Baptist. And after Mary conceives, she goes to see Elizabeth. And they come together, and they're both filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible, holy moment. And for Mary's part, as she's filled with the Spirit, she begins to sing. Kind of like a Disney princess. Right? She finds her song. And her song, we call today... Uh, the Magnificat. So here's a portion of the song Mary sings prophetically in Luke chapter 1, verses 51 through 53. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And Mary is alluding to the kind of changes that Messiah will bring, the kind of messes that he will start to clean up in the world. And some of this mess is public mess in the world around us. When the people of Israel were waiting for the Messiah, this is what they were hoping he would do. They were hoping the Messiah would come and deliver them from Roman oppression. The majority of the Messiah's public cleaning will come when Jesus comes back to earth and sets up his rule and reign for a thousand years. That's a totally different topic for another time. But that's when we can look forward to that being fulfilled. Although, we're already starting to see bits and pieces of the Messiah cleaning up the mess in our world, even now. It's impossible for us to think about the greatest advances in human history and not think about the fact that Jesus made an impact on almost all of them. The leaders of the abolition of slavery movement in Britain first and in America were committed Christians. Literature exploded forward when Johannes Gutenberg created the printing press. Guess what Gutenberg wanted to print? Bibles. That's how the common people got access to books and literature. Some of the most famous educational centers of our world today, Harvard, Yale, Oxford, they were seminaries to teach Christian missionaries and professionals and prepare people to spread the gospel. Healthcare was advanced because of Christ. We, we could spend really months talking about the impact that God has had on this world, but I want to focus in on one example that really captures this idea very beautifully. It comes from the Fiji Islands. I'm going to quote from uh, Kennedy and Newcomb's book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? So here's what it says. In 1844, H.L. Hastings visited the Fiji Islands. He found there that life was very cheap and that it was held in low esteem. You could buy a human being for $7 or for one musket. That was cheaper than a cow. After having bought him, you could work him, whip him, starve him, or eat him, according to your preference, and many did the latter. Hastings returned a number of years later and found that the value of human life had risen tremendously. One could not buy a human being for $7 to beat or to eat. In fact, you could not buy one for $7 million. Why? Because across the Fiji Islands, there were now 1,200 Christian chapels where the gospel of Christ had been proclaimed. And people had been taught 
that we are not our own. We have been purchased with a price, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The Messiah came to clean up a mess, and he cleaned up a mess in the world. But the Messiah also comes into the mess of our private and personal lives. And when God sent Jesus to earth the first time, he knew that's where he needed to start. Because all the mess in society has a root somewhere. And that root is the sin, the sinful nature and desires in each of our hearts. And that's where Jesus needed to start. And that's the mess that he wants to meet us in. That's a good thing. Because we need it. And we need it because our lives are messy. Now we've probably haven't been in Joseph's shoes before. We definitely haven't been in Mary's shoes, but we all have our own mess. And God is comfortable in our mess too. The Messiah is comfortable in our mess. And our mess represents the problems that we have and the pain that we face. So that comes in different shapes and sizes, but we all have it. And I think the next part of the story in Luke is meant to address all of us in each of our own messes. Uh, We meet a group of people next after the birth of Christ. And they are not the elites of their day. They are not the intellectuals. They are not the influencers. In fact, they might be the opposite. So Luke 2, 8 through 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So after the birth of the Messiah, the first group of people that God encounters and includes intentionally, they're shepherds. And we need to understand the role that shepherds play in this story because shepherds were the bottom of society. Most of them were uneducated. They spent all day with animals, so they smell like animals too. History tells us that a lot of the shepherds were criminals because they couldn't get any other jobs anymore. Shepherds had messy lives, and God sent angels to them. So if God includes them, it's almost like he's saying, I'm going to include all of you. If I'm willing to step into the mess of their lives, I'm willing to step into the mess of your life. And we all know what the messes in our lives look like. Some of us have a financial mess in our lives. Some of us have health problems or family with health problems. Some of us have mental health problems. Some of us have strained relationships or we might be struggling with an addiction. Maybe people know about it or people don't know about it. Maybe we have wounds from a broken past or we have things in our lives that are causing our futures to be uncertain. Whatever it is for you, whether I named yours or whether there's something else, each and every single one of us has a mess in our lives. But God wants us to know that the Messiah is comfortable in our mess. And I say that because I see it in God's word, but I can also say it from a place of very deep and very personal 
experience. Because God has always met me and he's always met our family whenever we decided to meet with him in the mess of our lives. Some of you might have heard me share a story um, from my perspective. But today, I want to switch that up and I want you to hear that from the perspective of somebody whose testimony in that regard carries more weight than mine. So to tell this story of how God met with us and how God met with her, please help me welcome my wife, Jerrica Bolasan. Hi, <laughs> my name is Jerrica, I'm Matt's wife. I just wanna share um, what we went through last year from my perspective. Holy Spirit, help me not to cry. Okay, so early last year, Matt and I, um, Ali was turning three, so we're like, oh, this is a good time to have another kid, you know, because she's, the moment she slept in her own room, we're like, there you go, we can, <laughs> we can afford another kid. Before that, we were not sleeping. And so, um, yes, the beginning of the year, um, we were trying, and then in February, I got a positive pregnancy test. We were so excited, and we told our immediate family. Um, and me being a planner, I was counting the months, and I was like, oh, perfect. This baby is going to be born around um, the holidays, so I can have my maternity leave um, during Christmas. And then um, it's right in between the busy season at work, so I didn't have to miss anything huge. So I was like, Lord, you got me. <laughs> you perfect timing. Thank you for letting me be pregnant at this time. And then I wanted to switch doctors. Um, the doctor that I had with Allie, she was fine, but I had one complaint about her. She never called me by name. And when you're pregnant, you see this doctor like so often. And then every time I went to my appointment, she was like, hey, you, how you doing? How you doing, you? I have a name. <laughs> okay, fine. So then I was like, I'm going to try a different doctor with um, this next one. And so um, I called a different doctor, but they're like, it's going to be eight weeks till we can get you in. I was like, oh, that's kind of long, but okay, whatever. So I was just acting, you know, just going around my life. So um, my appointment came the morning. Um, Allie had to go to school, so Matt dropped her off. And I went to the appointment by myself. So I go to the appointment, this is during COVID, so we had masks on, and the ultrasound tech technician brought me in. She said, okay, let's go. So I was excited. We go in the room and worship music is playing. I was like, oh, this is gonna be a great day. <laughs> like a Jesus is you know, in this room already, right? And we have small talk and she's just checking my belly, checking my belly, and it took kind of long. And I was like, mm, I don't know, I haven't been pregnant in forever, so maybe it's supposed to take this long, right? And then she's pushing a little harder and, you know, going all over. I was like, all right. And then a song comes on. And then it goes, here's my broken, here's my broken, hallelujah. Here's my broken, hallelujah. And I was like, that doesn't mean anything today, right, Lord? Why, why would that song play? You know, oh, it's fine. But when you take, when you go to an ultrasound, the first, the first thing that you can hear is the baby's heartbeat. And so she turned on the volume for a quick second, and it was dead silent. And I was like, oh, 
I knew already. She turned it back down. And I was like, oh, there's no heartbeat. So she told me, okay, the doctor is going to give you um, the results. So I'm like, oh, okay, because they they're not allowed to tell you the results. So I go in the room, and I'm waiting for like 30 minutes. I'm like, oh. So during that 30 minutes, I'm just praying, God, help me trust you. Help me trust you. I don't know what the doctor is going to say, but help me trust you. She walks in. This 30 minutes of me just praying to the Lord. She walks in, the doctor, and she says, Jerrica. So I love that name. If I knew, if I heard that name before I had my daughter, I would have named my daughter Jerrica. Oh, my God. The Lord was there. She told me. Oh, you had suffered a miscarriage. One out of four pregnancies, you know, um, happened to be a miscarriage. People don't even know. And I was just like, okay, you know, even if it's common, it's, it doesn't hurt any less. But to know that the Lord was there, the Lord was present, his word stands true. He said, um, I am close to the brokenhearted, and I save those who are crushed in spirit. And even if I was so devastated, the Lord met me there. I felt his presence. And knowing that um, regardless of my messy and my devastating news, the Lord was close. So this, this appointment was Thursday, four days before Sunday, which was our Easter service at Suncoast Casino, well, when we had Uncle Dennis's testimony about his miraculous life. And so I was supposed to lead worship. Matt was supposed to preach. And I was like, I don't want to do that. If I could have a pass, it would be this Sunday. <laughs> I don't want to lead worship. I just found out I had a miscarriage, right? And no one, no one would have said, oh, no, Jerrica, you still have to lead worship. Hello. No one would have said that. Everyone would have gave me a pass that day. But this was my opportunity to offer my broken hallelujah to the Lord, because even if I was so broken, my God is still so good to me, that this is not the end, that the reason why we celebrate this season is Emmanuel, God with us. He's in our mess, and we get to live with him forever. I get to meet the baby that I miscarried when we go to heaven, and that's the hope of Jesus Christ, that even if we're in really crappy situations, this is not the end, and we can see it through because our God is faithful. Amen. I had to really breathe and pray back there to hold myself together when I came back up. But I can't help but think back to the mess of that season. How heartbreaking that was. When I'm preparing a sermon to tell people about Jesus... I'm also complaining to Jesus about the fact that he wants me to preach about life. And my child in the womb didn't have life. And I asked God, how could you? How could you put us in this position to tell people about the hope we're supposed to have in you when we don't have any? And yet, God reminded me that our hope is in the resurrection that even when life gets messy on earth, we have the hope of an eternity that won't be messy at all. And in that mess, God met us and we experienced him. And he started to clean up the pain of our heartbreak and our questioning and our doubts. 
not just so that we could minister, because that took a lot longer than four days to fix. But he met us there, and he healed us, and he's using that story. And shortly after the time period where Jericho wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant, she got pregnant again with our second daughter, Astrid. God met us in our mess. The Messiah was comfortable in our mess, and he wants to do the same for all of us. We can invite the Messiah into our mess. One final passage as we close today. The shepherds decided, after hearing this message from the angels, that they would go out and see this Messiah for themselves, that they would go and experience him for themselves. So here's their response, Luke 2.15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They did not say, hey, let's go home and let's clean ourselves up first. Hey, I haven't had a bath in a week. If I'm going to meet the newborn king, then I have to clean myself up first. I want to be presentable for God. I need to fix myself. I need to cover up the smell of sheep. They said, let's go. God knew what kind of state we were in. He knows that you're a criminal. You can't do anything else. You're watching your father's sheep. It doesn't matter. He's invited us. So let's go and see and experience firsthand what this Messiah is all about. And Jesus, the Messiah, is waiting to be invited into the mess of our lives. But we need to make that decision to open ourselves up to him and invite him in and experience him in whatever that mess is. And that looks different for all of us. For me, experiencing God in the mess after that miscarriage was being honest with him and asking him to comfort me and asking him to speak to me and give me hope. For me, it was reading his word about life and the hope of seeing that child again one day. It was talking to people, processing that situation with other couples who had gone through the same thing. But as we invited the Messiah into the mess of our lives, we started to see and feel as he cleaned it up. So what's that look like for you? Maybe inviting the Messiah into the mess of your life means being consistent, attending service, being consistent in your life group. Maybe it means not just reading the word, but studying the word regarding the specific mess in your life. Maybe it means praying about that thing once every day, not just as a final prayer, rub-a-dub-dub, Lord, thanks for this grub, Lord. Lord, I'm broken. Lord, I'm anxious and I can't stop my mind from wondering about my future. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. I don't know how I'm going to pay this debt. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. God, help me. God, provide a way. Lord, I'm surrounded by brokenness in my family and I keep asking you to help us. I'm running out of hope. Help me. Do something. At least give me the grace to continue and know you more. I don't know what the mess is and I don't know what it looks like for you to meet God in that mess. 
I'm hoping that God reveals that to you. And if you don't know where to start, that's a great way to get connected to a life group. Talk to somebody. Ask God's people to join you in the mess too. That's what Christians are supposed to be for. We help each other. We help each other see things. We pray for one another. Messiah wants to meet us in the mess of our lives regardless of what that mess is. And that's something that everyone here has the opportunity to do. We can invite the Messiah to the mess of our lives because he's comfortable there. He wants to meet us there. He wants us to experience him there. And he wants to take us from this mess and transform it into a miracle and transform it into a message and that's what God wants to do for you would you join me as we pray God thank you first Lord thank you for meeting me and my wife and our family in the many messes of our lives and my God I pray that you would meet everyone here in the mess of their lives too. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us loudly, clearly, profoundly, like the angel spoke to the shepherd that day, and let us know that you're comfortable in the mess of our lives, the messy situations, thoughts. You're not intimidated by those things. You're not put off or scared by those things. In fact, those are the very things you want to run to. Lord, make that clear to our hearts. And I pray, God, that as you make that clear to us, Lord, you'd begin to meet us there and minister to us there in a way that only you can. And in fact, with heads bowed and eyes closed in this time, if you feel like there's a mess in your life right now, whatever that looks like for you, something in your mind, something around you, all of the above, if you just want to invite the Messiah into your mess, just experience God there, then I want to pray for you. So if you feel like that's you, and you, you want to meet God in the mess of your life, one, on the count of three, one, two, three. Anybody here, you want to meet God in the mess of your life. It can be anything. Thank you, God. Anybody else, step out in faith. Step out in humility. Meet God there. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, you know what's going on in our hearts, on our minds. And Father, I pray that you would meet us right there. Lord, your word says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Lord, you said the Holy Spirit came to be our comforter, our helper. Lord, comfort us today. Help us today. Help us meet you in that mess, experience you there, and help us out of it. And transform that mess into a message. God, I pray for each and every one who's looking for you to experience you today, even in this moment, to experience your comfort, to see a way forward and to take the next small step of faith, whatever it is for them. Lord, I pray for a faith and a comfort that leads to action and obedience and practice as we follow you forward in spite of the mess around us. Thank you for this, God. In Jesus' name, amen.